Welcome into the Esports Network podcast right here. Of course, talking the best in esports, the latest news in esports, the latest games coming out of esports, and the companies, the betting. That's the real big topic today. If you just missed the news from the past week, Ohio trying to expand their, their latest betting laws surrounding sports and you know, by conjunction esports. So here to help me talk about mostly anything related to esports betting, including his own company, an esports betting site. Let's welcome Steven Salzin, the CEO of Rivalry and Esports and Sports Betting Company. How are you doing, Steven? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. In case people don't know who you are, you're you're based out of Toronto, Canada. Uh, yep. Like I said, CEO of Rivalry, the, the the Robin Hood of esports and sports betting. You're a former gamer yourself. Uh, you know, you, you turn this passion into what I would call a content to commerce uh, uh, authentic story that you kind of build this platform from scratch. And you know, just early this year, you you raised what twenty million dollars. Yep. Awesome. So, yep. and Robert, of course, it's at your baby. It's a, the, the, the leading sports and betting and sports media property right now offering fully regulated online wagering on esports. Awesome. That's, 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 that's such a, such a great, um, industry to kind of find yourself in. And I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, how did you ever find yourself in that position? Yeah. So I guess it goes back. I mean, so first of all, when I was younger, I played, um, I played a ton of rainbow six on Xbox, like early Xbox and That's in Toronto and Canada, there was definitely like, I mean, it wasn't really esports then it was just people playing in clans and playing competitively, competitively online. And there was actually, uh, this is like right when MLG was getting started, they would host these like really, really, really tiny tournaments at the fan expo in Toronto. And the <laughs> fan expo was like Toronto's version of Comic-Con. It's like the Canadian, like small version of it. So would play would play at those with my I have a twin brother so we would we would do that and then we got uh, extremely addicted to World of Warcraft played that for about four to five years really really consistently up until like the end of kind of let's say Burning Crusade and then went to university and decided to kind of uh, do some other things <laughs> with our time but um, uh, did that and then professionally went into the financial industry so worked in finance for a bit and then really in like 2013 and 14 when valve released the arms deal update and skins trading started to pick up i was just playing counter-strike and buying skins and doing what a lot of people do thought that was a really interesting kind of business and it paired a little bit with my current experience in the financial industry and honestly was just getting excited by what was happening like in the skins marketplaces so like dota 2 and csgo skins marketplaces i ended up meeting uh, these two guys ryan white and kevin wimmer who were the co-founders of loot market which Ooh. anyone here that was a dota player and bought skins should remember because i think at one point we were the largest dota 2 skins marketplace globally so they were running that out of toronto which was more just coincidence and this is like 2015 early 2016 at this point we ended up becoming partners where i said hey you know we'll maybe raise some money and help grow loot market a bit but let's also look at doing other things in let's say gaming media and esports together because we were all kind of excited by lots of different things happening in the industry and formed this new company that we were identifying at just different opportunities in, in the space of esports more from like an investment perspective at the time mm -hmm. so uh, and the, the key criteria for us then was really things that were not going to kind of brush up against ip too much because we were always worried about publisher ip like franchise fees all that kind of stuff we didn't want to deal with any of that uh, and we were looking at things that ideally were agnostic of any game cyclicality because we were also worried about like the up and down of popularity of different games there's like no predictability of longevity outside of maybe the core titles but even those you know five ten years from now who knows where things are at so it was like the combination of that thesis mixed with running our virtual kind of goods let's say skins marketplace and 
we saw also like a rising interest in sports betting on esports, but it was coming through skins betting and running a marketplace. We were very aware of what was happening in the skins betting market, uh, uh, sorry, skins betting world, and knew it was completely illegal. And also, probably a lot of underage users, given it was our users, we knew how old they were. So we thought, hey, if somebody could do a really great kind of authentic regulated sports betting product for this demographic, um, that it could be something that would be really interesting and then also kind of met, met our criteria that uh, we were excited about from an investment perspective. And then just decided to like build it ourselves. So then, yeah, raised some money at the end of 2016, early 17 into 18, got our kind of fully regulated sports betting license, built the product and then launched Rivalry in the middle of 2018. So that's kind of the quick genesis of, of how we got to uh, building the business. I mean, that sounds sounds like a great story. Honestly, you, you see the, the hole in the market, you wanted to fill it and you did that pretty well. And so really, what was your, was, was there any real personal motivation on your end to start a company like Rivalry? Was it something that you wanted to see as a gamer? Like something that, you know, these professional guys are, are, are playing games or getting paid money for it. Why can't we place bets on this like we can regular sports like baseball, basketball, football? We can't place, you know, regular bets on those in Vegas. Why can't we do the same for esports? Was that something that you were hoping to kind of fill on, on a personal level? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I say like myself, Ryan and Kevin are not like huge gamblers. We're more kind of technology guys that love building like really compelling consumer products. And we thought that um, sports betting, the way that it was being treated by like the existing platforms. And you mentioned Robinhood earlier. So think about like Bet365 or DraftKings or these guys. It mm-hmm. looks like a spreadsheet. It's like a very kind of archaic web product. It's extremely confusing. And we thought like it's super uninteresting. And also just like the mechanics built into it. It also has a propensity to create you know, let's say more negative behavioral loops that gets you betting more than maybe you should. And we thought, hey, we feel having serviced this demographic with um, our skins, skins marketplace and also just understanding and being part of it ourselves. We thought like people don't really want to bet that way. As in, you know, it's not about getting your paycheck, taking a huge chunk of it, putting it on like the horse track or putting it on the football game. You know, we felt that uh, our own interest in betting was more almost like a gamification of it um and something that was a little lighter almost like what you would just spend on uber eats or starbucks in the week not something you're gonna again like blow your paycheck on and just like fun entertaining and almost doing it for like the meme and like the clout you know (laughs) betting on the underdog because it's fun and like posting it on reddit and like with your friends on twitter about it not again you know placing you know multi-hundred dollar sports bets so we thought hey if you could build a product that would cater to like that more kind of casual approach to betting uh, and almost rethink also how betting is looked at as yeah rather than something that's dirty just being something again that is no different than yeah spending 10 15 20 bucks a week on uber eats that it could be interesting and even like actually our first concept for rivalry because we were so kind of going down this path where we're like we just want it to be a very casual product with like and have high volume of casual players not you know cater it's like vips or something like this we actually originally wanted to and we couldn't get it approved but we wanted to run it like a subscription like SaaS product we're like we don't want people like again taking paychecks putting hundreds of dollars into this maybe losing it you know can we just charge them 15 bucks a month and that's it and then they just you know max they're betting 15 bucks a month and run it just like a SaaS product ends up you can't really do that because of gambling regulation because you can't you know auto debit somebody's credit card for the purpose of sports betting which kind of makes sense in the end but again it was just like our ethos of keeping it casual and fun and entertaining and again rethinking how betting is looked at culturally um that was kind of what excited us about it 
That's interesting. You just you bring up the the, the whole subscription service, obviously for obvious reasons. I, that I couldn't go too far, but I mean, just uh, I'm glad to hear that that was something you guys considered moving forward. Is just uh, the, the kind of different angles you guys wanted to take with it. Um, obviously, you guys launched in 2018, 2018 and um, I'm just curious from that point in 2018 to, to now, what kind of growth have you seen in terms of just uh, in revenue at, at all, or really just what kind of numbers have you guys been looking at? Yeah. So the way that a sportsbook measures its business is like betting turnover. So it's like the total amount of like bets that you take. So our first launch or like our real first push was in August of 2018. So on TI, we sponsored Fnatic, we sponsored Richard Lewis, and we just started kind of that's like was our almost like coming out party to the world. We like many startups and starting a business, we spent that August of 2018, the next 12 months, um, realizing a lot of our initial assumptions were absolutely dead wrong <laughs> about about every, about a lot of things. A few were right, and then just like dialing in the business and like correcting a lot of the initial errors that we made. So our first 12 months, we were growing like you know 10 percent a month, maybe a little bit less, but off of like an extremely small number. So like wasn't really super exciting. Like we weren't covering our bills or anything like that. Um, and then I'd say. Once we had kind of nailed what we felt were like the core fundamentals of the business uh, toward the end of 2019, from that point forward um, until today, we've been growing at like just over 15, 16% every single month, month over month on average. Wow. Um, so like really, really consistent growth. Our 2020 was about eight and a half times bigger than our 2019. And then our uh, this year we're tracking like our Q1 of this year was up almost 400% over Q1 of last year. Um, so yeah, we've seen like really substantial growth. Um, but definitely yeah, that first year was super painful. I think anyone that starts a business kind of experiences that. But yeah, we've we've been pretty consistent since then. That's awesome. I mean, I'm just curious. So was, was this growth kind of like a gradual growth? Or was it like, was there a tipping point where it's like, oh my gosh? Yeah, yeah I mean, like, Betting is definitely a little seasonal and spiky. So mm -hmm. if you think about sports betting, like the traditional sports books in the US are going to experience this where like the NFL season is going to be like their biggest quarter, like always, or like their biggest kind of sequence of months. It just will be in March Madness is super spiky. A lot of casuals come in and then you kind of lose them. So esports is a little bit like that where there is obviously seasonality around like TI, any of the CS majors, um, any of kind of like the major, uh, you know, the, the end of like the, the summer split or spring split for League of Legends and Worlds, obviously all that kind of stuff. So there is like some lumpiness in it. I'd say for like, the business overall, though, not really up until probably the beginning of COVID. I'd say like from late 2019 um, through to early 2020, it was just like kind of consistent month over month. And then definitely April. So the first month after like the real big shutdown, sports shutdown, everything, we were up, up I think, 150% in April over wow over the prior month alone. And then that was like the new level that we grew off of. So that gave us like six months of growth in 30 days. So wow. um, that was the biggest spike for us for sure. But like outside of that one event that we've been just pretty consistent, I'd say. Awesome. So, I mean, yeah. I don't, in the sports betting world, like October is, is the, 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 the holy grail of sports betting because you have baseball, basketball, football yeah. starting up and, and kind of all meeting together that one time. I know for esports, it's kind of the same thing. October, November, the, the big events start popping up. People, people really want to place their bets, I guess. But, well, you know, it's, it's interesting yeah. because uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that 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 first i guess that first few months of covid was was where you saw the biggest amount of growth and so yeah it's just really just this interesting that people kind of turn to esports really for their 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 betting needs um yeah i'd say for us just quickly on that like yeah. it was less 
it was less like an older, let's say, traditional sports better that was like looking to bet on esports. We actually just found it was like higher volume of the same kinds of oh. younger people betting on esports. And I think all it was is when you're at home um, and like the initial part of the lockdown and you're bored, you were looking to kind of, you know, get your blood pumping a little bit <laughs> and, you know, taking 10 bucks and putting it on, you know, CS or Lee can maybe do that for you. So, so I think it was just like looking for a little spark, a little excitement when uh, it was like that initial dread of COVID when um, nobody had a clue what it was or how long it was going to last. And yeah, people were just looking for something. So yeah, I, th- I think it was that. And then um, it, it was just, continuing off of off of that really uh up until today that's awesome and so i mean yeah. er, earlier this year you guys raised uh 20 million dollars in, in, in a funding run and i'm sure yeah. uh, funding round excuse me uh, was that mostly from just like investors wanting to get in or was that something that you guys were looking for potential partners to really increase that growth off of and kind of make more of a market this year yeah so up until that point we'd only raised i think like eight and a half million bucks since the inception of the company which i think sounds like a lot maybe for other types of businesses but for sports betting it's not like sports betting is an extremely expensive industry to go into not really from the marketing side but more like the cost of product cost of regulation getting licenses audits legal like if you want to do it right and stay like super above board and do everything um as clean as you can which is what we definitely did and, and kind of probably went above uh, above and beyond in certain cases it's just going to cost you a lot of money like it, it is just such the barrier to entry is just is high because of the, of the cost so we'd only raised yeah, about eight and a half i think up until that point and then really because of like the growth we had demonstrated and then i'd say the definitely the increased interest in esports betting as a result of covid and just the headlines around it and then the one other thing that helped us which is a little unique to canada being based in canada is canada announced similar to what the u.s did in 2018 that canada is looking to legalize sports betting Mm -hmm. because currently canada is not a legal market so it was like all those things coming together at the exact same time for us which was um just definitely like fortuitous in terms of being able to go and raise capital so yeah we went out in late 2020 to kind of start marketing and speaking to investors and then um yeah it was purely kind of to your point just growth capital like just kind of putting more fuel behind everything that's working and just keep pushing it to new markets and um you know staffing everything like that yeah. perfect i mean that was gonna be my next question <laughs> where's that money gonna go I and mean, you just put it off it's just gonna be pretty much to help grow the business a little bit on the back end if you if you will and yes yeah, so- yeah it's um definitely hiring so we have been running pretty lean um again you know we're competing against sports books where like a betway or bet 365 you're talking like a thousand to fifteen hundred employees rivalry up until we closed this funding was like 40 to 50 people total doing everything like building the product and also the other thing that's unique is like we built the product from scratch so also all those companies i mentioned it, they white label they license their products so they don't even have like a huge engineering team they just like they use a third party Uh, provider and they just white label it so (laughs) our team was about 50 people including building and maintaining the entire product so like very small relative again to who we're competing against so yeah just hiring like engineering marketing uh, new country leads so yeah a big part of it is is staffing the other piece is going into new markets getting new licenses so just like the cost of that and then um, just straight marketing spend yeah you know influencers content creators teams all the stuff that we we basically do Man, it's just basic startup stuff, right? Have 40, 50 yeah. people <laughs> working in the in the back end of things. It's kind of taking care of everything, patching holes where they can. It's just, it's it's yeah. uh, the nature of the startups nowadays. But uh, I'm I'm curious, um, what have you seen personally from esports in the last few years that make it seem like it's a new entertainment avenue for for other people looking on the outside in? I'm sorry, it's the joys of <laughs> being on my dog. You're all right. Yeah. So. 
I think what people are starting to realize is that esports and gamers are kind of like the tastemakers of the day in terms of like culture, like culture makers. So if you look back to like the 80s and 90s and the combination between, let's say, like hip hop and the NBA and fashion, those things all intersected. And, you know, uh, basketball players, again, were like the tastemakers of the day for like whether it was like sneaker culture, or, like music culture, et cetera. That's kind of what we've seen with gaming. And I say esports over the last couple of years where you're seeing that cross pollination of, you know, young professional athletes and like traditional sports that are, you know, either starting esports teams or joining esports teams and gamers in terms of um, the type of sponsorship and activations they're getting from major brands where like they are like the culture makers of the day. So we find that like as an entertainment category, I think it went from being, even though the, the pool and the size of people playing has been huge for 20 plus years. I just think it kind of has now come where it went from still being this niche, you know, perceived to be somewhat nerdy thing to, to cool basically. And just like entering mainstream culture where you, know, you got Neymar with Ninja and you got obviously Drake with Ninja and you got like, that was actually like the really big cultural tipping point. I'd say from like our perspective, just where mainstream investors who previously didn't care about esports didn't understand it. Maybe they were like investors of the game publishers, but didn't really even understand what the game publishers were doing. It was like that crossover that really just connected the two worlds for people and realized that as an entertainment category, um, this is probably something that they should be taking a closer look at. And I think that is what really propelled the category from an investment perspective as well. It's so like nobody was talking about how much money esports teams were raising, uh, for example, up until like 2017, 2018. Yep. Uh, it just it wasn't really a story. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of money being raised in the space. So I, I think it's just that crossing over point, like cult, crossing over that like cultural chasm um, is been the biggest thing for us in terms of like the relevance and being able to build something like this. I mean, obviously, the, the culture point is, is a big part of just kind of getting people in the door, but the, the numbers and the money behind it is really what keeps people, you know, there uh, with people. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, Canada trying to, to widen and, and legalize sports betting across the, the, the country and the U.S. as well as trying to do that individually through, through different states. So w- with the widening of sports betting, that's probably going to engulf esports at some point as well. What do you think has kind of led to that evolution? Just where, where people are more accepting of sports betting now than they were, you know, maybe five, ten years ago? Yeah, I'd say, to be honest, like it, it's actually falling a little bit behind the legalization of cannabis, if you want to talk like real kind of macro and, and why these things are happening. So the legalization of like marijuana in Canada, which was the first to do it um, in like 2015, 2016. And then you had government licenses being handed out to be able to grow it here legally and then sell it. That then pushed the US where obviously then you had state by state legalization of cannabis. And even when you looked at you know, the election of Joe Biden and what happened with um, um, uh, the state-by-state legalization of cannabis, it was being paired with gambling. So people were talking about the two in the same breath, like, you know, this state elected this person, which means it's positive for cannabis and sports betting. The two have been paired. So I think what happened was, is there's been like cultural normalization of things that previously were looked at as like stigma, as in like smoking pot um, and gambling. And it has gotten to a point where people realize the behavior is like fairly normalized. It's not as dangerous as you think. There's lots of controls in place with the right regulation. You can actually turn this into an industry that brings in great tax revenue for the government. And it's things that people are already doing. And you may as well take it from the black market to like the white market. Mm -hmm. So like that was what happened to both 
cannabis and sports betting at the same time, I think, is that people are buying pot and smoking it. So why not legalize it and tax it and make money off of it and also and create like a, a safer environment to do it? Same thing with sports betting, you know, in Canada today and in the US before it was legalized, people are betting on offshore sports books. Like people in Canada today bet on offshore sports books like all day long. So if you're the government, you're like, okay, I mean, we can't stop this. You, you can't fight the internet. You know, why not uh, legalize it, regulate it, make it easier also for the consumer? Because the challenge with going on the offshore sports books is like moving money in and out is much more complicated. The banks make it super difficult, but again, people still find ways to do it. So I think it was that, I think it's just reducing the stigma, normalizing these things. People are doing it anyways, bringing in tax revenue for the government. Um, and then also with the government can have more control over it. They can implement more things like responsible gambling so they can like reduce kind of any negative behavioral trends. So uh, yeah, I think it's why any industry like this really ends up getting legalized uh, at the end of the day. It's kind of like one business opens up the pathways and the other one falls right behind yeah. it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's too, right? It's, it's super interesting. That kind of macro trend you're talking about. It's just kind of really, it's kind of a, more of a business of psychology than anything else, right? Just kind of people say that you say they can't do it and they want to do it more. I mean, it's just kind of oh, yeah. comes out that way. But oh, yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, from, from your standpoint, right? What are, what are some obstacles that still kind of pose a challenge for companies like yours? And how they can connect to an audience. What's what's the big? How how do you solve that problem? Right? How do you get you know an audience from from not knowing who you are to being invested and in, in kind of going to your site every other day or every day at that point? Yeah, specific to us, I think we have a bit of like a unique approach where our thing always was to like legitimately be like a part of the community organically. So like the way that we do that is, I know everyone always talks about authenticity in esports, and it's a bit of a meme. I think it's a meme, <laughs> but. We, we run like 20 social media and content properties like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. They don't talk about betting at all. Like if you go to a rivalry Twitter or rivalry YouTube, we do not mention betting. So we produce content and have like localized social media channels like to a specific language covering a specific title in a specific country and then we pair that with like being super heavy on content creator sponsorship and influence uh, influencer sponsorship so we we have about 150 partners uh, across all of our markets like twitch streamers and um, youtube creators and all that kind of stuff so we kind of pair those two together where we um, are like super high touch with the community through social media and then like enhance that by working with obviously the influencers that they care about and are relevant with. But the other thing that matters to us is like, we don't want to be just like the sports betting logo. I mean, most people don't even know rivalry is betting because we don't have bet in the name, which was also deliberate because we just think it's kind of weird to, and it's not an exciting brand to get behind when it's like bet something. It's just, it just, it's not interesting. So, but what we, we didn't want to, for Twitch streamers and people we work with, like we didn't want to just be like the logo of the of the month, like we're the you know the seat sponsor this month, and it's just a thing on the rotating reel on their Twitch, and, and like you, you like you glaze over it now, you don't even see like the sponsorship when you watch a Twitch streamer. It's just like it was you know uh, Red Bull this month and it's Monster the next month, or like it was Betway this month and then it was you know DraftKings now it's somebody else. The big like DNA of the company is like when you get sponsored by Rivalry, we want it to like mean something. So what we try to do is we are extremely focused on like creating long-term value for the creators we work with by, by like putting our money behind creating like really unique activations for their community and like helping pay for it with the creator in a way that they would not be able to fund it themselves. And then to like create enhanced value for the creator, which then organically ends up passing back more value to us as a brand. So like a perfect example would be, we did this thing called Copa, uh, Copa de Mall in, in Brazil for League of Legends. Mm -hmm. 
where uh, a creator wanted to take like underprivileged, like extremely talented League of Legends players in Brazil to EU for a boot camp to then play on EU servers and against EU talent and then hopefully get scouted and get signed to EU teams. It's a fairly expensive proposition to like take a bunch of people, fly them, put them in Europe for a month, housing, etc. Um, so we we worked with the creator and funded this whole event like with him. So, uh, and to be clear also, like we, we didn't offer betting on it. So the way the event worked is they took like 10 of the best pros in Brazil for League of legends that are inside the teams. They played each other in multiple games and then like the top two people would go to this boot camp with the creator. So like we didn't offer betting on it. So we didn't make like money on the event itself. Um, we didn't really care about that. It was more about being able to create that opportunity, which obviously, created a huge amount of value for the content creator because he was able to like bring this to the community where the brand that helped like make it a reality um and yeah we paid for everything like we got them we got them gaming pcs when they got home from europe they we, we put them up in europe for a month they like got some even some, like, some prize money all this kind of stuff so um like that's kind of what we do and then how we kind of like get the brand out there in an organic way that doesn't seem like gross and in your face and then Hopefully, when people are watching esports and they have an interest in betting, they start to think about the brand because it's kind of been in their head and it's resonated with them and we're a part of what they're doing and we haven't been jamming it in their face constantly. And, and that's all that's worked for us. So that's that's really the way that we, we do it is we try to think of ourselves almost like as a media company that just so happens to have like betting as like a monetization function at like the core of it, not like a betting company with a media arm. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, you're you're connecting to an audience by your own kind of content creation, and that's how you kind of bring them on and, and, and form your brand and in their in their head. Really, it's it's a it's less of a betting company, more of a content creation company that yep. also happens to have betting on the side. It's just it's it's yeah. uh, really not on the side. It's it's it's, it's a like I said, it's a core ba- core part of the business, but it's it's a it's a monetization monetization path for you guys. Yeah, like betting happens to be a good way to monetize. People want to do it. Um, we want to build a great product that is interesting for them. It has also, again, to what I said earlier, has controls in place that keeps it like contained because we're not trying to... Uh, we, we don't want at all to create... Um, negative behavioral trends at all amongst gamblers is just not good and not healthy so yeah if we have a product that can do that and it can achieve that and again betting happens to be a very functional business model it then allows us to fund media and then the whole thing kind of just really goes in a circle for us yeah it's, 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 a, it's a loop for the most part you, just, you make yeah. money from betting and then you you spend it on media you, you spend that money back on, on betting it's kind of like an interesting thing but i mean just from a from my standpoint just, there's, there's like not that many companies out there that cover that intersection between you know online betting operators and and the sports and gaming media entertainment you know industry uh, why do you think that is there's not that many i think there's maybe you and possibly barstool that does it too that's all I can think of on top, off, off top of my head. Why, why aren't there so many more doing this? It's interesting. I think we're actually seeing all the sports betting companies start to try to do this. So DraftKings is starting to buy like yeah. different podcast groups and everything. I, I, I don't know if that's going to work where we're, I think, stitching together brands that have existed on their own for a while like a really successful podcast and how you own it in your parent company and then you're going to start you know trying to market as like an affiliate DraftKings start like jamming people to DraftKings. I have no doubt it acquires some users. Is it the question like they have to ask is, is that enhancing the equity value of the DraftKings brand? I don't think so. So like the way that we think about it, and I think other people are starting to think about it is um, everything we do or like, how does it like enhance the value of the brand rivalry? We're not, we're not thinking about like, how does it help us make money? Like long-term we think it will like, 
our immediate focus always is like how everything we do, like how does it enhance the value of the brand rivalry itself? Like that's all we really care about right now. So, and I think that's what Barstool got right is, I don't know how deliberate it was because Portnoy started like 18, 19 <laughs> years ago as something a little different, but, but ultimately that's what happened is like everything was just making Barstool the brand as big as possible. And like when the brand hits that crossing over point where you've seen it with Barstool, you see it obviously with content creators and influencers that then go sell hamburgers or merch or whatever, um, or, or start an OnlyFans or whatever it may be. Um, what, when, or, or even like what the Nelk boys have done. And I'm not really a fan of those guys, but like the way that Nelk has been able to take the brand, they can do whatever they want with it. And like, I think FaZe also is like one of the few brands in esports also that phrase hit that like tipping over point where the brand almost now has like unlimited leverage. That's like the ultimate win for any consumer product where like the brand is unlimited leverage. So like, that's how we think about it. I just think doing that is so difficult. Like it, like building a successful brand that people care about is so, is, is so damn hard that I'm sure people have tried, but just there's been so few successes and Barstool is such an outlier and everyone uses it as a case study, but it really is an outlier. P- people are trying to do this all day. It's just so hard. So, so like I, I, I think in sports betting, the trend is going that way and there haven't been many people that have done that. But if you look at other consumer industries, building brand in that way um, is a thing that people have been trying to do for a while. It, it's just, it's just hard to succeed. To be yeah. Honest. I mean, yeah. If, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's you and Barstool and maybe a few others are trying to stitch some things together, but yeah. you know, Barstool would be the exception, not the rule as, as most oh, would point yeah. out. But uh, I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, I think you guys are, are, are doing great so far. I mean, like you said, you, this year is kind of, uh, you know, on track for, for what, another record growth year for you guys. And yeah. so, w- really, what does the future look like for Rivalry? What, what what other, I guess, avenues are you looking for in terms of content creation? And, or what are you trying to do on the back sure. end of things for, for your, your technical side? Yeah, so I'd say, like, the three big pillars for us that we're super focused on is, like, always launching a new market. So our current license is... We have an Isle of Man license called. It's just like a very blue chip, call it offshore license. So we can accept bets in all markets where there's no local license. So for example, like most of South America, there's no licensing in place. But so we can legally take bets from there, Southeast Asia, a few other places. So we're always kind of launching in new markets that are legal under that license. And then we recently earned a Australian license. So Australia is a country license. Um, so we've got recently got that license. We'll be launching there probably in two months or so. Wow. So Australia will be soon. Ontario, so the biggest province in Canada is uh, also going to be issuing licenses, hopefully by the end of this year. We're hopeful on that as well. So yeah, so new licenses to launch in new markets is like always the focus. So we're constantly doing that. Then building more original products. So there's this thing on the site. We haven't marketed it yet. It's been kind of in soft launch called Rush Lane. So we, we have a games team internally that has built like original games in the Unity engine. So Rush Lane is like a cyberpunky. Uh, it's like cyberpunk meets Mario Kart meets marble race meets tower defense, I guess you could <laughs> say. So it's kind of a mix of all those fully legal, fully regulated uh, casino. Again, we're trying to like kill some of the stigma of casino. Cause it doesn't, this does not feel like a casino game. It feels more like a game you'd play with a Twitch creator on. And there are games like this on Twitch where you can kind of enter the game through chat, all that kind of stuff. It is much more like that. So we're building tons of games like that, just like original uh, game IP. So we're going to be doing a lot of that. And then on the media side, definitely we have been, and people are going to start to see, we have two new show concepts coming out in about two months or so, but we have like significantly elevated like the the production quality of uh, the new shows we're doing. So, um, you know, we've got kind of a 
quote in-house studio in phoenix um so we're building out again like a broader like production like physically like owning a production studio to kind of support everything we're doing so um yeah just really just pushing uh, hard on all the kind of key levels <laughs> no you're fine you're fine we love dogs here on the esports Network podcast and so we also love companies on the up and up and yours is clearly one of those companies on the up and up so we wish you the best of luck of course uh uh, visit rivalry.com and uh follow them on twitter at rivalry glhf which of course good luck have fun uh as always we we ask everybody to bet responsibly and of course uh steven we can't thank you enough for coming on the show taking some time out of your busy busy day and coming on explaining what's going on with rivalry that was great thanks kevin really no really appreciate it no problem uh, he's steven Sauls, ceo founder of rivalry and i'm just kevin correa right here on the esports network podcast Woo!